scripture reading for today is Mark chapter 8 verses 34 through 38 and on Mark chapter 9 verse 1. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they seek the kingdom of God after, after it has come with power. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Go ahead, and if you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 8. And as always, we've brought some Bibles in here back on the communion tables. You can always pick up a Bible there or out in the lobby. We'll have some of the scripture up on the screen, but would encourage you to, to have a Bible here with you this morning. Um, and so, hey, happy spring. You guys made it, right? We, we, we survived the winter, and uh, uh, the first snow of spring is always so, such a magical time. Uh, you know, I think Indiana is one of the few places that you can be bitten by mosquitoes and have it snow all in the same week. And uh, so I know many of you, you know, enjoyed kind of the weather changes this week. And this morning is also special because we get to welcome our preschoolers in here this morning. So preschoolers, welcome. It's good to have you guys in here. Uh, there are occasions where we don't have our preschool class and our preschoolers will join us. And uh, so listen, parents, we understand the squirminess level will be a little bit raised today. And that is okay. Uh, so everyone take a deep breath. We understand preschoolers and, and young kids will be preschoolers and young kids, and that's good. We're, we're glad to have them in here uh, with us this morning. Now, Dad, don't move. Don't move. Now, have you guys ever had anyone say that to you, right? What, what do you immediately, you can move at ease. Uh, what, when someone says that to you, when someone says don't move, what do you immediately want to do? You want to move, right? Yeah, what's on me? You assume like there's the home alone tarantula starting to crawl across your face. Like why, you know, what is going on? When someone says don't move, I immediately just want to start throwing my arms, screaming, like running out of the room, right? Because when someone says don't move, what do you really want to know? You want to know why, right? Why don't move? Why are you telling me not to move? That is really what you want to know. When someone tells you, say, say, when they say don't move, you want to know why, okay? And for the last few weeks, we've been going through a passage of Scripture uh, where Jesus has been teaching us what true discipleship looks like, that if anyone would be a disciple to follow after him, that they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And so two weeks ago, we looked at what, it, what does it mean to deny ourselves. Last week, we talked about, okay, what does this mean to take up our cross? But unlike your friend who tells you not to move and then doesn't tell you why, Jesus is so kind to us that he's now going to give us some reasons why we should deny ourselves and why we should take up our cross and why we should follow after him. 
And in giving us these reasons, he's going to address head on the things that hold us back from truly following after Jesus, okay? Because let me ask you this this morning, and this might be something that you ask the the Holy Spirit to continue to reveal to you this morning, but what is holding you back from truly following Jesus? What is true? What is holding you back from truly following Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about what's holding you back from, from checking the box that you identify as a Christian. I'm not talking about what's holding you back from going to church on Sunday. You obviously made it here this morning. But I'm talking about what's holding you back from truly, day in and day out, following after Jesus. What's holding you back from day in and day out, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following after him? And so let's pray. Let's ask that the Spirit would reveal some of those things to us and that he might transform us as we study uh, God's words. Let's pray. Pray with me. Father, you are so holy and good and loving, and we thank you that you do not call us to some blind leap of faith. But God, even here after this command that you give us to follow after you, you now explain to us why. But Lord, I know that there are things going on in our lives right now that are holding us back from truly following after you. And Spirit, we ask that you would reveal those to us, that you would bring that to the surface this morning, that you would bring that to the forefront of our hearts and our minds, and that we might, we might hand those over to you, God. And that you might change us and transform us and remove anything that would be holding us back from following after you. I ask that you would continue to build and make true disciples, true followers of you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and look at Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And it says, And calling to the crowd, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, right? Jesus has called us to this command. He's called us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, follow after him. But why? But why? Verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now, verse 35, Jesus kind of gives us this seemingly paradoxical statement that those that are going to try to save their own life will actually lose it, and yet those who surrender it and lose it for the sake of Christ and the gospel, those are the lives that will be saved. And this might at first seem kind of like a strange teaching from Jesus, but it really goes along with all his teaching about the kingdom of God. In, in that the kingdom of God has often been called an upside-down kingdom because when Jesus entered into the world, he really took how we think of the world and he flipped it upside-down, right? He said things like the last will be first and the first will be last, which just kind of blows our minds. We don't know how to handle statements like that. And so here it seems like Jesus is again teaching something that seems paradoxical, that those that would you know, really hold on to their lives and try to save it, those are actually going to lose their life. But those who surrender it and, and hold their life with open hands, those are the ones that will be saved. You see here, Jesus is teaching that winning comes from losing, which seems really strange to us at first. 
You see, your desire for your life to be saved is a good God-given desire. But because of sin, remember what sin does, it always turns us in on ourselves. Because of sin, we think we must attempt to save it and control it ourselves. And it is that false belief that holds many of us back from actually following after Jesus and surrendering control to him. And so many of us go through life thinking that we need to get control of our lives before we'll be ready to really live out our faith. Many of us think that we've got to have ourselves together and all cleaned up and things figured out before we actually start following after Jesus. And what we do is we, 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 grip, and we, we, we grip our lives tighter and tighter to try to get control over it. And Jesus says, actually, the tighter you grip this life, the more you lose it. The more you lose it. Back in high school, our youth group would play this game called uh, watermelon football, okay? Watermelon football. It definitely needs to make a resurgence at our city groups this summer. It's going to be a big push of mine this summer to see happen at city group. Uh, but what watermelon football is, okay, it's, it's football, but you play it with a watermelon, okay? Now stick with me because you take the watermelon, and it's not just any ordinary watermelon. You take the watermelon and you butter it up. You like grease it up, right? You make it really slippery, extra slippery, so that it's impossible to hold this watermelon. And so typically you would, you would play football. You'd mainly just do running plays. You'd have to do a lot of laterals. You couldn't really do many passes. So it kind of turned more into watermelon rugby, I guess, than watermelon football. Uh, but the watermelon then was so slippery that if you carried it for any extent of time, your own hands and arms would become slippery, right? So then it just kept getting more and more difficult to actually hold on to this watermelon, Right? And then what happens, though? What happens when you try to squeeze a slippery thing? The tighter you try to grip it, the more it slips out of your hands. The tighter you try to grip it, the more it just slips out of your hands. Anyone feel like life is slipping out of your hands this morning? I know watermelon football, it's kind of a silly example, but there are some of us this morning that feel frustrated and fearful because we feel like we're trying to gain control of our life, and yet the more we do it, the more it feels like it's slipping out of our hands. The tighter we cling to it, the tighter we grip it, the, tr the tighter we try to control it, the more we lose it. Whether it's maybe a certain relationship with a, with a spouse or with a friend or with a child, like you, you try to get more control over it, you try to hold on to it tighter, and yet it just seems to keep slipping out of your hands. Maybe it's your financial situation. You've tried to do all the right things, get everything organized, budgeted. You've tried to hold on to it tighter. You've tried to hold on to your money tighter, and yet it seems like your finances are slipping out of your hands. Maybe you do this with your physical and mental health, emotional health, you try to do all the right things, eat the right things, exercise, do what you're supposed to do, and yet your health just seems to keep slipping out of your hands. And then you see, as we grip our life tighter and tighter, and it starts to slip away, what does it start producing in us? It starts producing frustration and fear. 
frustration and fear start to stir up in you because, oh my goodness, this thing I'm trying to save, this life I'm afraid of losing, this thing I'm trying to control, it's slipping away from me. You see, in the upside-down kingdom of God, winning over frustration and fear, it starts by losing your life and surrendering control. If I can again go back to this silly illustration, right? In watermelon football, after you had carried the slippery watermelon a few times, your hands and arms would be covered with butter and grease, and so it really just kept becoming more and more impossible to hold on to the watermelon. Your only hope was for there to be someone to enter into the game whose hands and arms were not dirtied by the butter and grease. And your only hope was to place the watermelon into those hands because it was those hands that had the power to hold what kept slipping away from you. Now, if you think I'm still talking about watermelon football, try to keep up, okay? All right, Jesus says in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, church, the reason that we can deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after Jesus is because Jesus has freed us from the frustration and fear of trying to save and control our own lives. Listen, our hands are not strong enough. Our hands are not clean enough, and our hands don't have that kind of endurance, but his do. Our lives are like a greased-up watermelon that we try to hold on to, but we're not strong enough to hold on to it. And yet many of us, though, we spend our entire lives trying to, and as a result, frustration and fear hold many of us back from truly following after Jesus. But how merciful and gracious and powerful He is to take from us something we could not hold, our life and salvation. And he says, give it to me. I am strong enough. So when you've got that kung fu grip on your life and it starts slipping away and you start feeling frustration and fear starting to rise up in you, I'm telling you, only Jesus is powerful enough to hold your life in his hands. You might try to calm your fears and anxieties, maybe by buying some insurance, maybe by saving a nest egg, maybe by surrounding yourself with with friends and a good support system, right? Maybe by putting routines into your life to make you feel like you've got control over it. And all those things are well and good, okay? But at the end of the day, you need an all-powerful God to hold your life in his hands. Surely there are others that can be merciful and gracious to you, but mercy and grace without power are really just pity, okay? Only God is the merciful and gracious one who is also all-powerful. Jesus says, give me your life, 
Give me your life that is slipping away from you, and I'll give you mine, which is secure in heaven. Our brother in Christ, who's now with the Lord, Jim Elliott, many of you have heard of him. He was martyred as a missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And one of his most famous quotes is this. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And Kev, you can just keep that up for just a little bit here. Like that's, that's winning by losing, right? That's triumphing over frustration and fear by first losing your life. That's Jesus taking the life that you aren't strong enough to hold and that's slipping away from you and Jesus giving you his, which is secure in heaven. True disciples deny themselves and take up their cross because Jesus took up his and by doing so, he has freed us from any attempts to have to try to save or control our own lives. And so we willingly give him our lives, trusting that he is powerful enough to save us and keep us. Jesus has freed you to live a life that can win against frustration and fear, but it starts by losing. It starts by surrendering. It's a winning by losing life. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot Lose. That's what Mark 8.35 is talking about when Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus has freed you to start winning by losing, church. Well, you might say, yeah, but if I can just hold on to my life a little longer, if I can just control it a little longer, even if it's just for a few more years, then I can really get the stuff I want right? Like if I hold on to it for just a few more years, I can get the money, the power, the pleasure, the status, and the approval that I want in this life. And then, you know, Grant, later on, I'll start following after Jesus. Later on, I'll start being a true disciple of Jesus. Then I'll get ready for the life to come. And so when I ask you what's holding you back from following after Jesus, this is what some of you are even thinking right now right? You're thinking, hey, Grant, okay, I know Jesus is God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I know it's through repentance and faith in him that I'm saved. But hey, I'm going to really start following him in like five years or maybe 10 years or at the very least 20 years. Maybe that's when I'll start really following after Jesus. Because if I can just keep holding on to my life right now a little longer, then I can get some of these things that I think are really valuable to me. So some of you might be asking, why? Why is it so important to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus like right now? I get, I get that maybe at some point I need to do that, but why is it so important for me to do right now? And Jesus says in Mark 8, verse 36, he says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
Back in Bible times, if you were to go to a, a street merchant and you were trading or exchanging goods or you were paying for something, uh, they would not have a digital scale uh, like you would see in a store uh, today. They would have something like this. We'll have a picture of a scale up there, okay? So this is a picture of a scale uh, that would have been used in the ancient system of exchange. And so if you were measuring out like a stack of gold coins, uh, let's just say, for example, using our money system, you wanted to measure out like $20 worth of gold coins. Well, you knew how much that would weigh. So you would put known weights on one side and then you would start putting the gold coins on the other until it evened out. Okay. To deny yourself and to take up your cross, this can to us at first seem like a foolish transaction, right? It seems like a foolish transaction until, until Jesus teaches us and gives us eyes to see what truly has value and what does not. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? He says all the riches of the world, you could put on one side of the scale, put all the riches, the biggest number of billions of dollars that you can think, put it on one side of the scale, compare that to the value of your soul. There's no comparison. There's no profit there to gain the whole world and lose your soul. The scale doesn't lie on that. Jesus is teaching us that the value of your soul, it just, it has so much more weight and worth than all the wealth and the power of the world. And yet many of us, many of us, we are held back from following Jesus because we falsely think that gaining the world and all the money and the power and the status, we think it's going to be worth it. You and I have been deceived. Someone has tipped the scales and we've lost sight of what is truly valuable and what is not. To illustrate this, you guys recognize, you guys recognize this, this money? Have you guys ever played this game? It's a game called Monopoly, all right? If you haven't heard of it, there's like a hundred different versions of it, okay? We're still waiting for Monopoly Johnson County to come out. Maybe it already is, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, Monopoly, it's a pretty common game, okay? Uh, now, some of you, uh, you really don't like to play Monopoly because there's someone in your family or in your group of friends that becomes what I will call a Monopoly monster, all right? A Monopoly monster. You guys know these people. They're all coming to your mind. You're all... You're looking at them right now. You're patting them on the back. Yes, right? A Monopoly monster. A Monopoly monster is the person who starts playing Monopoly, and if they have any sort of success in the game, if they gain any amount of money in the game, it starts to change them, and they start becoming this, this, this kind of uppity, arrogant person. Like, they just start acting like a jerk. They start, you know, expecting family to bring them refreshments, you know, and uh, success in in that game, it turns them into another person, right? It turns them into a monopoly monster. So you all have someone in your mind like this that you're thinking about, and this is why you never want to play Monopoly. It's because of these people. Now, if you're sitting there and you can't think of anyone, I'm just going to drop a self-awareness bomb on you this morning. You probably are one, okay? You are the reason that people do not want to play Monopoly, okay? So some of you might need to go confess and repent to one another later today, okay? 
But listen, listen, what is Monopoly money? I mean, it's, it's some paper. It's got some ink on it. It, it. it temporarily allows you to, like, buy some things. It temporarily allows you to feel a little successful. But when the game is over, you realize just how worthless this is, right? It has no lasting value. If I came and I offered you money in exchange for your monopoly money, you would be foolish to turn that down, which I am open to any deals later today if you guys want to make that transaction, right? But, but listen, if I came to, to someone playing monopoly and I offered them a real house or a real mansion and they're more excited about building hotels on Park Place, that person has obviously been come under some delusion, okay? We'll call it monopoly delusion, okay? Monopoly delusion. You, it, this is when you lose sight of what really has value and what does not. Because Jesus says, I'm not calling you to a foolish transaction here. I'm giving you eyes to see what really has value and what does not. Jesus is the treasure that will last. Human souls have more value than all the riches of the world. Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? But many of us, we live in this monopoly delusion. We care more about this temporary paper or a number in our account than we do about our own souls and about the souls of others. And when Jesus says that the scales don't lie on this one, your soul is more valuable than all the riches in the world, what he does is he's, he's freeing us from this monopoly delusion. He's freeing us from being monopoly monsters. And Paul, he also gives us an antidote for the monopoly delusion, okay? You need to recognize all of us, at some degree or another, we are under this monopoly delusion. Paul gives us an antidote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, which we'll have up here on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, which FYI, don't just think about people richer than you, okay? If you make $30,000 or more, that puts you in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people, okay? So I think this can be applicable to us. Paul, writing to Timothy, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Here he's going to give now an antidote in verse 18. He says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and they are to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So 
here's the antidote. Paul writing to Timothy, helping Timothy shepherd people who have some monopoly money, okay? Again, not wrong to have monopoly money. We just are not supposed to set our hope on monopoly money, okay? He gives the antidote, though, for the monopoly delusion. He says they are to do good, right? Number one, they are to do good, be rich in good works. And number two, he says they are to be generous and ready to share. Or more simplified, they are to serve and they are to give. Now listen, that is why, as a part of our discipleship pathway here, the way that, that, that your, your pastors are helping you follow after Jesus, this is why we encourage you to serve and encourage you to give. It's not because we want your money. It's not because we want you to build up some of these big ministry plans that we have. It's really not. It's because the monopoly delusion that you live in your entire week is telling you day in and day out, it's telling you it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. But when you serve and when you give, you're saying it's not all about me. It's not all about me. It's not all about me. And when you give your monopoly money for the sake of gospel ministry, you take hold of that which is truly life, and and Jesus slowly but surely is freeing you from the monopoly delusion. Where Where we can now live, where now we can freely live in a way that we are ready to give this temporary money away for the sake of things that carry eternal value and eternal significance. Church, could it be that many of us are not truly following Jesus because we are living in the monopoly delusion? We've lost sight of what really has value And what does not? God's word gives us an antidote. Serve and give. Look back at Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So it was sophomore year of high school, and it was English class. We were assigned a group project. Okay, We were given the option to either write a paper or make a video about a book that we had read that semester. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, that's a no-brainer. I'm going to make the video, not not write the paper, okay? And so a few of my friends, we got together uh, on a Saturday afternoon and spent, spent the afternoon making this video. And we, we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, probably too much fun doing it, uh, because if I can be honest, I think we got far too caught up in trying to seek the approval and the laughter of our classmates than we did in actually seeking the approval of our teacher who would be giving us the grade. 
And so this video, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Uh, Britt was there. She probably still scarred by it. It was, uh, it was just us pretty much goofing off in front of a camera, trying to get a few laughs, which for the record, we did. Uh, but our teacher, not so much, not so much. He, he actually shut it off halfway into the video and would not let it finish because he thought it was so bad. And it resulted in us then having to kind of redo it just to save our grade in the class. But you see, what had happened was we had lost our way because we had been so caught up in seeking the approval of our classmates. We focused on the approval from the wrong audience. Now, certainly I'm not the only one who's done that. What about you, though? What does this look like in your life? What's holding you back from following Jesus? Some of you, it's seeking the approval of man instead of the approval of God. Some of you are ashamed to proclaim the name of Jesus. Some of you are ashamed to live out the life of a true disciple because you are still seeking the approval of the wrong audience. Who's your audience? Who is the, whose approval are you trying to seek? Could this be what's holding you back from truly following Jesus? And Jesus says in Mark 8, 38, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, and this adulterous, <clears throat> excuse me, and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you're seeking the approval of man more than the approval of God, I'm telling you, you've got the wrong audience. You see, we've been held back from following Jesus because we've been seeking the approval of the wrong audience. We've been seeking the approval of those around us instead of the one who created us. But here's the good news, church. The desire for approval and acceptance, those aren't bad desires. They were just ultimately meant to be found in Christ. You see, true disciples deny themselves and can take up their cross and follow Jesus because Jesus has freed them from needing the approval of the wrong audience. Listen to these words from 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll have it up on the screen. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. He saved us. He called us. He set us apart. And get this, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. 
The desire for approval has been satisfied in Christ, and therefore he has freed us from being ashamed or seeking the approval of the, any other audience. Listen, church, this means you don't have to be a slave to whatever popular opinion is. It's going to change in a year anyway, but you don't have to be a slave to it. You don't have to be a slave to whatever popular blog posts or social media posts are going on right now. You can't keep up with that anyway. You don't have to be ashamed to claim the name of Christ and to proclaim his good news of salvation to others. Who is your audience, church? Who is your audience? Are you living life seeking the approval of others or, or are you living the life of a true disciple who's not living to seek the approval of others? A true disciple is living life out of a response to the approval we've already found in Christ. I want to live that kind of life. It's, it's really tiring and fatiguing, and it's really just enslaving to live a life that is just absolutely seeking the approval of others. But in Christ, we're called to freedom. Christians are free. We're called to live life, no, not seeking the approval of others. We're called to live life out of a response to the approval we've already had in Christ. Well, if I've lost you, come back with me, okay? We're going we're gonna to bring it home here this morning. And Joshua and Tim can already, you guys can come up on stage. But listen, true disciples, true disciples deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus because ultimately Jesus has freed us to follow him. He has freed us to follow him. He's freed us from the frustration and fear of having to try to save ourselves and having to try to hold on to control of our own lives. He's freed us from that. He's then freed us from the monopoly delusion, right? He's freed us to see what has lasting value and what does not. Jesus then, he's freed us from having to seek the approval of others and having to seek the, the approval and acceptance of the wrong audience because when we are in Christ, the audience that really matters says in Christ we are accepted, approved, children of God, welcome to the table of the Lord. But what's holding you back from following Jesus today? What's holding you back from following Jesus today? Is it the constant need to earn it? Like you want to work for it so you can get credit? You want the power and the control over your own life? You want to decide how the rest of your life is going to go? What's holding you back from following Jesus? Is it the love of money and possessions that have got you just so intoxicated that you can't even imagine clinging to Christ because you've, you're clinging to so much in this life right now? What's, what's holding you back from following Jesus? Is it wanting to have status and approval and acceptance from the culture and the mob on social media, and so it's maybe fine to follow Jesus Sunday morning, but you really can't get your mind around following him Monday through Saturday because that would fracture some relationships and status and, and reputation? What's holding you back from following Jesus? 
Back in the book of, of 1 Kings, we're not going to go there this morning. We're not going to study it in depth, but I want you to get this image in your mind of what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is when God is telling Elijah the prophet to go call Elisha, to who God has chosen to follow after Elijah. Okay, so it's 1 Kings 19. God, God tells Elijah to go, go call Elisha to follow after him. And when Elijah goes, he calls Elisha. Elisha is out plowing a field with 12 oxen. Okay, he's at work. He's doing work. Elijah passes by, throws a cloak on him, which sort of signals, hey, you're the guy, okay? You're going to follow after me. God's, God says you're going to be the next prophet. And listen to how Elisha, uh, how Elisha responds, right? He says, yes, I'm going to follow after you. Just let me go kiss my parents and do one other thing. And this is the image. You've got you to understand this one other thing that he does, okay? Because what Elisha does before he goes and follows after Elijah, this is what he does. He goes and he burns the oxen. And here's the picture, the imagery that I want you to see in what he was doing, right? He was plowing a field with oxen, and when he was called, he did not just go put the oxen in the barn in case this whole prophet thing didn't work out, right? He didn't just save them as a backup plan. Hey, I need a livelihood if this whole following Elijah thing isn't going to work out. He burned the oxen and he followed after him. There's no going back. There's no backup plan. There's no safety net. He is the one that I'm going to follow after. And so for some of you this morning, what, what is holding you back from following after Jesus? God has maybe even brought some things to your mind this morning that we haven't even talked about, but you know it's what's holding you back. But here's the, here's the excited thing, and here's why I, I so looked forward to this morning, is because I believe that the Spirit of the living God, I believe this morning, He's going to burn some oxen in your life. Like whatever is holding you back, whatever is really keeping you from following after Jesus, offer that up to God and say, Holy Spirit, please burn it. Please purify it. Please cleanse it. There's no going back. I am following after you. So whatever has been holding you back from really following Jesus, whatever it is, offer it up to God. Burn the oxen. He is worth it. He's worthy of so much more. He will enable you and empower you to do it because he has freed you. True disciples of Jesus deny themselves and take up their cross because Jesus has freed them to follow after him. Let's pray.